There's 110,000 empty restaurants um, in the U.S. that the infrastructure, you know, we already have a kitchen and the HVAC and the millions and millions of dollars that would be needed uh, to open this restaurant. And what, what we're seeing is that entrepreneurs like restaurateurs like myself um, or groups who are expanding, they can open into new spaces and they don't need nearly as much money because really all you have to do is kind of repaint and maybe change the tables, right? right. And, right. um, and InKind's happy to provide that funding. And then you, when you open, you don't have debt, you don't have other investors you need to pay. And so what you're able to do is actually give your employees profit sharing instead of paying the investors with a debt. And that way you can retain and hire the best talent because you can actually pay them more. And really that money, you know, you would have to have given to a bank or to an investor anyway. You might as well give it to your employees, which are really uh, critical, obviously, in this time uh, for the restaurant industry. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone, and welcome to 2022. This is an all-new year, and there's lots of optimism out there. Business is coming back to restaurants in droves. But our biggest challenge remains the labor crisis. And two weeks ago, we featured four leading experts helping you with their best practices and advice on how to solve just that, the labor problem in your restaurant. And we've compiled a series of four more for this podcast episode, four more leading experts that will offer everything that they're doing in their restaurants today, everything that they've seen that's working well, and we hope sincerely that some of these ideas will work in your own operation. So stay tuned. Also, I want to let you know that we have compiled 22 plus of these interviews at restaurantlabercrunch.com. My fellow industry pro friend and colleague, Jamie Oikel of runningrestaurants.com and I have put together the Labor Crunch Show that has 22 experts. Similar to these, these episodes are a focus on that, but if you've got time at your leisure, you can go to that website at any time, tune into any and all of those episodes and get the full show. But for now, here are four more experts, so stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. I have to tell you about Bear Robotics, a Silicon Valley startup that's revolutionizing the standard of superior restaurant service. So we all know the headaches that come with running a restaurant. Our servers are constantly dashing for drinks, bussing tables, running food, and running themselves ragged. Factor in the recent labor shortage and skeleton crew dynamics, and it's enough to drive any staff mad. Well, Bear Robotics is here to fix this with Servi, a restaurant robot that takes care of all those repetitive tasks while allowing your staff to focus on the finer points of outstanding service and real human interactions. Yep, the personal touch. This all leads to happier customers, higher ratings, and greater employee retention. Listen, Rockstars, these robots are able to map and navigate your entire restaurant, even with multiple models in use. And they're also the only restaurant robots that are NSF certified for health compliance. Now, all those repetitive tasks like running food, bussing tables, and delivering drinks, Servi handles it, and you can lease one for as little as $3 per hour. Visit bearrobotics.ai forward slash restaurant rockstars to get started today. This changes everything. Rockstars, let me tell you about Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed for restaurateurs by restaurateurs. Effective labor management is more important than ever to maximize profit and success, especially now as restaurants begin to reopen and expand their teams. 
Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust, turning your team into a competitive advantage to your business. Right now, Restaurant Rockstar's listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started now at sevenshifts.com forward slash restaurant rockstars. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com forward slash restaurant rockstars to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Now on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone. This is Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch with me today, Chef Joshua Carther, and he's with Water's Edge at the Hyatt Lodge in beautiful Chicagoland. Welcome to the show, Chef Joshua. Thank you very much. Glad to be here again, Roger. Really appreciate the invite. Now, you were on our podcast a couple weeks back, and we got into the depths of running a multiple location operation, food and beverage, and the challenges of labor a little bit there. But specifically, you know, you have expertise as a chef. You seem like you've, you've been really great in motivating your people, keeping your good people happy, finding new people, all that sort of thing. But it really begins with, you know, restaurants struggling, having enough staff to cook the food and having to shut down certain days and hours and cut back simply because we don't have the people to serve the customer and to obviously, you know, not only meet their expectations, but give them really great experiences. So what I would like to hear is any advice or opportunities that you see to sort of simplify a menu, you know, because now we can't have extensive long menus because of the prep time, because of the people it requires, the time it requires to prep. Like what advice can you give restaurants in order to simplify their menus and to, you know, handle that situation? Well, yeah. And I mean, when we started off, we had a very limited menu, like I'm sure everybody else is doing. Um, and then just from guest feedback, you know, people want more, but you know, at the end of the day, we all, we can't be something for everybody. So what we do is we look at opportunities that we can, and we have done to, uh, add a few additional items to the menu and we see how it goes. We definitely don't want to overload the staff. Um, uh, so we just introduce maybe a few items and we get them used to that. And then maybe we'll add a few more items. Um, but definitely one thing that's been key is whatever we do add on menu items is that the ingredients can be cross-utilized. The you. benefit that we have being in a hotel was is that we can also cross-utilize ingredients that we also use in our banquet kitchen. Um, uh, but regardless, you know, if it's the banquet kitchen or just the line itself, uh, all of our ingredients don't just go into one component. We cross-utilize everything so that way it makes sense. I'm really glad you brought that up because a long time ago, 20 plus years ago, I started my first restaurant and I literally had no restaurant experience. And one of the simplest but most important lessons I learned was don't bring in an item if it's just going to go on one menu item, you know, don't bring a, an ingredient in unless it can be used in multiple places. And, you know, there's still restaurants that I see or that I work with that haven't learned that lesson and they wonder why they've got a waste and a theft and a spoilage program, you know, problem and why their profits aren't where they should be. Because again, everything that they're bringing in isn't maximizing profit on what they're selling. And, you know, so that makes perfect sense. Thanks so much for bringing that up. Now let's talk about simplifying an existing menu, not necessarily making changes, but taking a good hard look at 
the menu as it exists today, what would you say the 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 steps would be to decide, okay, is it is it a product mix report to see what's super popular and what's selling? But then you also have to balance that out with what it takes to actually prepare it and the labor required. And is it really as profitable as it looks? Do we raise prices on that? Do we drop it entirely? You know, we have cash cows, we have dogs, we have all these different things on menus when we first put a menu together. But what I'm trying to get is how do we make that menu the most efficient it can be to, to you know, to go through this labor challenge and also to make sure what we're selling is profitable. Uh, well, yeah. So like you mentioned, you know, with a uh, sales report uh, or as we call them abstracts, we, what we do is we just get those reports to see what sells good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's, this is where uh, I really value a strong relationship with our front of the house team because uh, we got to make sure that we have um, respect and trust built really strong. So that way the, the, the wait staff, the, the front of the house manager feels very confident to not just give us the report, but also to have conversations around it to say, you know, these are what the numbers say, but this is also what guests are saying on the front of the house side um, as we're serving them. The, uh, the guests are saying that they would like to see this done differently or um, they, they felt that this uh, chicken entree that we have is very good, but um, they felt the pricing might have been high. Um, yes. So we just try to we we want to make sure that that relationship is there, so they feel comfortable addressing those things. And it's really important to address it with myself and my team because we create the atmosphere uh, or we foster the atmosphere that that way they can come to us without um, feeling that we're going to lash out in return. Um, that the, that way we're open to that constructive feedback. Um, so that's definitely, uh, uh, the key component. And then, yeah, like you mentioned that from, from that initial report and feedback, we look at, okay, if there's a certain menu item that maybe is a dog, uh, do we just cut, cast it off together or do we tweak it? Because maybe it is a Thank really you. good cost, uh, breakdown where, yep. um, it could be very good for us. So we, we look at tweaking a few things there. Uh, maybe maybe the sauce is something that needs to be changed or uh, maybe it's just the way that, that type of, let's say it's a steak. Is it the steak, the, the quality of the meat that's there that people just aren't really liking? Um, so, you know, if, if it's something that is very cost effective for us, but people don't really like it, then there's no point in having it. So we just look at all those different things there to to make the adjustments. And then, you know, I had a conversation recently with some other chefs and, you know, one thing that they've also looked at is buying things that are uh, are pre-cut. And a lot of the some of the chefs mentioned that they would never in their years look at buying free pre-cut stuff. But those are things that we have to balance out. And, you know, if right. we can buy a few pre-cut items and maybe we can make our sauces in-house and balance the quality there or even just the cost. Those are things that we're always looking at. You know, that's that's another good point you're making. Let's talk about steak, for example, or other pre-cut items. We know that if we're buying something pre-cut, the ounces and the cut is absolutely consistent. And if you've got two different people, say, cutting meat in your place, or even one person, they might have an off day. You never know. It's like there's some waste involved or you're putting out more product than the actual weight should be should be, you know, unless you're spot checking every single item that gets cut. So there might be a benefit to buying pre-cut items in certain cases, right? Correct. A hundred percent. We actually came across that just this past uh, few weeks where yeah. we're looking at, you know, uh, with the with the labor challenges, of course, uh, we have staff guys that would uh, slice the strip steaks for uh, a sandwich. 
and we found out that there is definitely some consistency challenges because one one shift might be busier than another, or right. maybe somebody just forgot to look at their prep list and they just tried to slice something super fast, and it wasn't the consistency that we're looking for. So, you know, in in order to make sure at the end of the day that our guests see the consistency and value that we looked at and we're like, you know, maybe we should go ahead and go with the pre-cut um, and just obviously making sure the, uh, what we're ordering on our end is going to be consistent, like we talked about, but also um, maybe the center cut of the strip line isn't the right way to go because of the cost, but we can do some different options there as well. And we even looked at um, possibly uh, getting in some, some pre-cut uh, frozen as well. And those things are vacuum sealed and frozen, um, to help with the cost as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it all comes out really good quality that we've tested out. Now you probably, I shouldn't assume, but of course you've got relationships with your suppliers. And one of the other key points you're bringing up is we can tweak ingredients to make things more profitable. Like you got to communicate with your account manager, which whichever supplier you're using and say, hey, is there a comparable quality product that maybe your company buys in greater volume and the price is a little bit better? It's like, you shouldn't just take for granted that just because I've always used this particular product, I'm always going to use it, provided the taste you know, the flavor profile stays the same. The customer won't know the difference, but maybe you're getting something a little cheaper simply because of economies of scale and buying. And it makes sense to constantly be looking at ingredients and keeping in communication with your suppliers about that. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. It's a, uh, it's basically almost a weekly conversation that I have with both my uh, seafood suppliers uh, and uh, the meat companies that we order from. And it's just conversation with me and them just saying, okay, you know, what's our pricing out this week? And, uh, what can we do to, you know, maximize what we're doing on our end and obviously help them out as well um, with uh, with their labor challenges that they're going with. But it's a weekly conversation, just uh, staying on top with each other. All right. We talked a little bit about um, pre-cut product. Let's talk about the importance of portion controls in a kitchen when you've got multiple people preparing the same food and maybe you got a football player with a gigantic hand and then you got this petite little girl that's got a small hand and they're making pizzas and they're putting cheese and pepperoni on it. I mean, do you have a system of recipe cards and photographs and training so that, you know, and the check and balance to make sure that the portion controls are literally standardized across the operation? I mean, that makes sense too, doesn't it? Yes, to all the above, pretty much. Uh, so yeah, first and foremost, we have recipe cards that break everything down. And then also what it does is it gives our, our line staff um, the ability to know how much each disc costs. And if they were to go heavy, how that affects all of our um, our profit. Uh, but then in addition to that, what we do is we created a, a recipe or not recipe plating guides. So okay. what I do yep. with uh, the chef team is we'll take photos, some really nice photos. We'll take close ups of everything. We'll blow them up. And right above our cook line, we have cork boards that have uh, the blown up pictures of every dish. And then underneath that, we have uh, just a quick um, uh, detailed thing items that's on the actual plate with the portion of it. So let's say, you know, you know, in turn, in terms of being a short order cook, you know, we're looking at trying to get thing out as fast as possible. You don't have time to flip through a recipe book to make sure you're having the right portion, right. but it's right. super fast for you to just glance up at these boards that we have uh, at the top of the line and see the blown up pictures, the big wording for what actually goes on each plate and how much portion is on there. So that's, that helps out tremendously to make 
make sure the consistency is there. And, uh, you know, for anybody that's not well-trained on the line, anybody can jump on the line and offer support um, and just take a glance at those photos. That's that makes perfect sense. Support. You know, that's, that's a great tip of advice for, you know, the smaller independent operator. Like you're, you're running a large operation with multiple outlets, like we talked about, and it is absolutely essential with, with that kind of volume that you're doing, but it's so essential in a small operation too, to make sure that these simple systems are in place that make your operation more efficient and, you know, more productive and all that sort of thing. And it takes a little bit of homework up front, but it pays dividends once those systems are in place. So thanks for mentioning that. Let's talk about your experiences um, with the labor shortage. When did it begin? Have you seen, you know, some bright spots on the horizon? You've recruited some people. You've asked your good people to find you people. Like, what have you done? What have you seen that's been working for you? And you're a leader by example anyway. So I was really impressed with that in, in our podcast episode, what your approach was to building teamwork and respect in your kitchens. Well, labor for us had had uh, been a challenge. We're in the suburbs of Chicago, and you know your your biggest labor pool is all, always going to go down to the city. So we had always had somewhat of a challenge, uh, definitely not to where it is now. So, like let's say pre COVID, uh, one thing we had we had uh, adopted was uh, people coming in from other countries on J one training visas. They would come in and they would learn the training for a full year, uh, the ins and outs of the kitchen and teach them purchasing. And it was a really good program um, that we had done prior to COVID that helped out with the labor. So when we actually get to that point again, where, you know, um, life can go on with everybody without the fear of all the virus stuff, um, I would highly recommend that for any operation to look into J-1 visa programs. It was tremendous because you would get people that actually care about what they're doing. Um, and then now, you know, now that we're coming in after COVID, uh, and trying to survive, it's just, you know, it's definitely a challenge, but it's anybody that we have come into the operation. We just tell them, you know, we we're very upfront for the, the workload that we're all dealing with. Um, so that way they're not blindsided and they don't get overwhelmed from day one. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, again, we just work alongside everybody to make sure that they feel supported and whatever they bring to the, to the table is valued. And, you know, even this past weekend, we were getting into an opportunity, uh, cause we use a lot of staffing, um, agencies to help with a lot of our dish room. And we had a lot of our, uh, um, our temps, temp agency uh, guys just didn't come in or they, or they let something came up and they had to leave early and the remainder of our dish crew, you could see the fatigue in their eyes and they're like, we're, we lost four people on a busy weekend. So I looked around at my culinary team and I'm like, Hey guys, I think we should jump in and work with them. I'm going to start, I'm going to jump in at this point. And, you know, as you guys are finishing up the evening, anything that you guys can do is going to be appreciated. And, uh, every one of my, my culinarians, as well as a brand new cook that we had joined the team. Um, I want to say it's his third day. He, he looked at one of the other cooks. He goes, is chef for real? We jump in the dish room. And another cook looked and said, just look at chef, man. Um, he's jumping in there, whatever he's doing. We just pretty much offer some support too. And it actually goes by really fast. And we all had a good time. We were breaking things down. We offered the dish crew some support and uh, we actually got done with the workload that we had. And I would say about an hour and a half, maybe two hours tops. 
And um, if we didn't do that, it would have taken our dish guys uh, well into two, three, four in the morning just to try to do that. Um, but we were actually able to get them out at 1230. Um, we didn't stay to 1230 ourselves, but we were all able to get at 1130. But that was huge. And I got a few text messages from the dish guys themselves later on in the evening um, or early morning. And uh, even into Sunday afternoon, they said, hey, we really appreciate that. That helped everything go by. So it's just little examples like that of us being able to just support one another um and again you know from any leader if if you're not scared to jump in there people will see that and they will follow suit yeah and you're going to get uh you know you'll be able to call in favors down the road because they're going to remember that and then when you need them to rise to a certain challenge it's like they know that you you know you are that type of leader you've built that respect you've built that teamwork you're not too important to jump in and help out and you care and that that pays huge dividends so i'm I'm really glad you brought that up any last minute advice for operators that if they're still standing they've been they've been beaten up really badly over the past year and a half or so they're still dealing with this labor crunch but it's like what can you do to reignite their passion to re-inspire them what got them into this business in the first place and to just dig deep and keep going what would you say to them you know, we actually looked at something like that the other day where uh, a few of the cooks and I, what I did was, you know, we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for this current year, right? It's just trying to survive the year. Yep. Yep. But Get one through. thing that came out that was really cool was uh, one of my cooks, he came to me and he said, hey, chef, can you teach me how to make a sauce? So I looked at his prep list and I'm like, yeah, let's go ahead and make a few sauces. So I just sat right there with him and just seeing the seeing the um, delight in his eyes of learning something new that he wasn't necessarily doing every day. Um, he really, he really took pride in that. And then he was sharing with uh, the rest of the team over the course of the weekend saying, Hey, this is what I learned how to make. And not only did that give a new uh, excitement in his eyes for, you know, trying to survive this grind that we're going through, it gave him a little bit more excitement and passion, but it also just me as a leader, it kind of, his excitement was my excitement because I was able to, you know, see what that did with him. And I'm like, man, I was like, you know, it's challenging enough. But when I saw that with him, I'm like, that's why we do what we do. We make good food, we make quality food. But at the end of the day, we also work alongside people that we're teaching um, and we're teaching, we're coaching, we're trying to mentor them into having the same passion we do. And to see that excitement really gave me added excitement as a leader to continue that on and look for other opportunities that, yeah, it's long days, it's grueling days, but is there moments that I can show somebody, maybe take a minute, maybe add another half hour to my day, but spend something with them that can really create another drive in their passion, which again, like Beautiful. you mentioned, it might've taken a half hour out of, my, out of my day, but that's something that I won't have to teach him in the future. And with his own excitement, he's going to turn around and try to teach somebody he's working with saying, chef shot me, told me this. Well, that's paying it forward, chef. And that is true leadership. So I certainly appreciate you uh, joining us and offering your expertise, your advice, best practices and all of that. So thanks for tuning in to Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. Please check out all the other videos because we're here to help you through this thing. We're all in this together. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, chef. I appreciate your being with us. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone. I'm Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, and this, of course, is Cracking the Labor Crunch. And with me today is the Senior VP of Marketing and Sales for a company, a tech company called Cut and Dry. Welcome to the show today, Warner. How are you? Thank you very much, Roger. Happy to be here. 
Glad you're here. So, you know, the pandemic has turned restaurants and the industry absolutely upside down. And if restaurants are still standing, it's not over yet. Everyone is struggling with this labor crisis, the labor crunch. And unfortunately, now that business is booming and demand for restaurants is at an all-time high, there are so many restaurants out there being forced to close certain days and hours of the week simply because they can't meet the demand, simply because they are short-staffed. I know you're seeing it. You've got clients and customers out there. I mean, what's been your experience and what can you offer? Um, best advice, best practices, anything you're seeing, hearing, or practicing yourself that'll help uh, operators through the crisis? Sure. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of restaurants running reduced times where they used to have, uh, you know, lunch available. Now they're only opening at four and later. So it, it's it's certainly a shame. I know that, you know, there have been certain restaurants I've tried to dine at and they, their hours are, are not what they were a year, year and a half ago. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we've uh, we've been seeing a lot of restaurants embrace technology. I've been selling technology, you know, to restaurants and, and creating technology for restaurants for you know over a decade now. And it's great to see that um, I'll say that this has kind of forced, you know, a decade of digital transformation over the past year and a half. So uh, I just think in, in embracing different types of technology in, in general uh, is a way that restaurants should be uh, trying to kind of future proof their business, whether that is uh, working with online ordering companies and making sure that you have a very streamlined pickup and delivery process. I know there's, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because a lot of those delivery platforms do take a hefty fee, but there are there are some solutions out there that are, are more cost-effective than others. Um, you know, I've also seen some interesting business models uh, appear. In, in my town, I live in Westfield, New Jersey, outside of the uh, New York metro area, and there is, a, I'll say, a new a new type of restaurant that I initially was a little bit uh, wary of uh, it's it's a it's a truck called the Wonder Truck. So I just just want to kind of make sure restaurants are figuring out how they can uh, you know look at at different business models. But the way this Wonder Truck works, it's kind of like uh, a restaurant on wheels, almost like an Uber like experience. Uh, and you can have a truck come and park in front of your house and actually prepare a fresh meal and walk it up to your doorstep. So. I've never seen anything like it, but I see these trucks parked in front of homes all over my neighborhood. Uh, and they're actually, you know, almost, I don't know the exact business model. I'm kind of giving a plug for this company. And I think they're only in Northern New Jersey right now, uh, but they're actually kind of licensing uh, recipes and well-known uh, dishes from restaurants all over the United States. So you can get a sandwich, uh, you know, from Atlanta uh, made in front of your house and delivered to your door. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting that there are, are new models that, you know, I hadn't even thought of or seen before that are emerging uh, as kind of alternate ways to, to get food to consumers. That's very interesting. It's almost like a hybrid model because so many restaurants do have their own food trucks that they take the show on the road to specific events and parades and, you know, sporting events and local community events and that sort of thing. But, you know, some restaurants could be forced to kind of close the doors to their existing bricks and mortar locations simply because it requires too much staffing and take a show on the road and pare things down, pare down a menu, use a food truck or a trailer and figure out, be really creative and resourceful. Okay, where is there lots of business all the time that I can take this truck to? It is definitely an emerging trend. I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. Of course. Yeah, it's kind of like a ghost kitchen on wheels. So I mean, yeah. and that's another model that I think a lot of restaurants are, are looking at not not having to deal with 
obviously the the high cost of rent and and still figuring out a way to make food and again get it to consumers whether that's in their home uh or at their office yeah that's absolutely true i mean unfortunately this pandemic has seen you know landlords really losing out on rents for so long and now we're seeing that landlords are actually increasing rents now that business is back and booming in the restaurant business which is unfortunate because the margins in this business are already so slim that you know it's a double-edged sword. Restaurants are being forced to pay higher wages now to attract new staff, bonuses, incentives, all sorts of things that, you know, are not sustainable unless you can increase sales, increase profits in a restaurant on top of rising food costs, on top of rising rent costs. I mean, the business is just squeezing the owner operator more and more every day. So these are definitely interesting ideas. Let's talk a little bit about cut and dry, because I know that not only is it uh, a platform that makes the ordering process more efficient, but I really love the cash back feature, the cash flow, uh, you know, the ability to use credit cards. Tell us all about the platform and, and how you see this fitting the, you know, the labor crunch we're talking about uh, and course, all the features. Right. Yeah. So we are, uh, I would say we're very well positioned for uh, a labor crunch. We, we provide a solution uh, to not having as much staff or trying to do more with your existing staff. Uh, I think it's kind of important to uh, just look at how the vast majority of restaurants are ordering, paying bills, accessing trade rebates, if that, if that all really happens. So uh, we'll kind of start with the old school analog ordering and receiving process. Uh, most restaurants, uh, when I ran a restaurant 20 years ago, it was the same way. But, uh, you know, chefs and, and kitchen staff are walking around with a, with a paper clipboard with an order guide they've printed out. Uh, they obviously don't have really their order history uh, available to them, what their par levels are. They might have to manually write those in, what their last order uh, a quantity was. Uh, but they're going around, they're, they're doing individual kind of inventory to restock. And, and then once they have their orders uh, prepped, they then need to uh, use a single use application or log into uh, an, in, in a wholesale e-commerce ordering platform that typically only works for one or two of the large suppliers. Uh, then they have to draft an email and send an order into their sales rep or pick up the phone or send a text message. Uh, we still see a lot of suppliers accepting faxes. So that that entire process, uh, a lot of restaurants uh, don't really understand how time consuming that is and how painful it is for the kitchen staff that's doing that multiple times per week. Uh, and then once that order actually is delivered, you, you're back to kind of messy clipboards of you know stacks of invoices, handwritten notes, um, and then all that needs to get physically handed over to your accounting team. So uh, it's just not a it's it's kind of a necessary evil. You obviously have to make sure your kitchen is stocked, but uh, we created a solution that makes that that process, uh, or we take the pain out of that process, a much easier streamlined process. So, so what you described was was completely inefficient and completely it takes whether it's a chef or a kitchen manager or even a line cook that's doing this. I mean, we're talking depending on the size of the restaurant, it could take a significant amount of time to go through this process. But but still, you're not comparing suppliers, that sort of thing. You're not ordering from multiple suppliers generally. Or if you are, it's even taking a, a longer amount of time. Am I right? right. We're, okay. we're not right now. We're not really kind of focused on on comparing prices. We're not trying to create the the kayak for food. So we're not really out there trying to find the best pr the best price for a product. Obviously, you can do that right now by comparing invoices. So we only allow you to to add the distributors. But the, the setback, the the value kind of core value of our platform is one single app that kind of replaces all those different order entry methods. So. 
Uh, as long as you're a current uh, customer of a distributor, you can add your distributor, whether that's a large national broadliner, uh, a regional meat, seafood, produce, or specialty supplier. Uh, if it's someone that is selling fresh truffles, you know, from a from a truck, just a couple of guys, doesn't really matter. You can put that into the application. So what you end up with is digital order guides with par levels, uh, you know, your your last order uh, date and quantity, uh, and it's all in the palm of your hand. So you can start an order on your on your phone in the walk-in or in the freezer, just walking around your you know dry storage. Uh, you can pick that order up on an iPad later in the day. You could submit the order on a desktop. Uh, you know, our, our, we, we are kind of platform agnostic. Uh, and then it, it's as simple as just pushing a button. And then it pushes those orders uh, to all of your distributors. It, it, can, it saves incredible amount of time. Uh, you know, as you just mentioned before, inefficient. We have some multi-unit restaurants that are using our, uh, our platform. And after they did an analysis, they realized that they, they were essentially paying a full-time employee just to do ordering. When they added up all the hours that they were doing across their multiple stores, it was a, it was a full-time role. Uh, and we're able to cut that time uh, at, you know, at least by 50%. We have some restaurants claiming that we're reducing time by 70%. Uh, so you can actually now give that time back into you know, either prep or you know, other kind of higher value items that need to be done in your back of house. I didn't mean to confuse our audience in terms of comparing suppliers. I guess what I meant to say is you can add multiple suppliers to your platform and have that template there. And whether you work with one broadliner or you work with two or three or smaller suppliers and a broadliner, you can literally go and order as you normally would more efficiently with the tablet itself or with the phone. All, you got it. All virtues. Okay. All via that app. Now, that, that is incredible in terms of how much time that would save. Let's talk about the return process and the check-in process, because this app also allows you to quickly check things in when the delivery is actually on your doorstep. Is that right? That's right. And this is a great feature for owners and managers, as well as the people checking in the order. As we know, that, you know a lot of times uh, management or owners are not on site at four or five or six o'clock in the morning when the deliveries are, are being received. Um, so once the order is delivered, you can pull out that app, you access your order history, and you can check in individual items with that order to make sure that uh, the order uh, that you placed is, has been received accurately. If you've been shorted an item or if there was an incorrect item, damaged item, you just mark as no, did not receive in full. And then you can select uh, the reason that you would uh, be requesting a credit. And then just, again, with the click of a button, it sends a credit request to the distributor on behalf of, uh, of that restaurant. And, and again, the, the value, you know, a, a manager or an owner could be sitting at home, sipping their morning coffee. They could pull out the app and they could look at the orders that were received that morning to make sure that all the items are, are in stock. That's fantastic. Now, one of the things that really strikes me, Warner, is um, with this labor crisis, I think I mentioned earlier that restaurants are now being forced to pay higher wages and their margins are, are slipping and, you know, cash flow is king as it always was. But, yes. but somehow restaurants need to figure out a way to pay these higher wages. So let's talk about the rebates because so many restaurants, in my experience, have left all those rebates on the table unaware of them, didn't have time to apply for them. And this platform does things automatically. Is that correct? It does. And, you know, before we go into the, the cash earning uh, side of things, let's talk about kind of increasing cash runway. So cash. Yeah, tell me about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll talk about kind of the pay feature and then we'll go into the, the cash earning feature. So great. Uh, not only is this a universal ordering platform, but it's also a universal payments platform. So we are partnered with uh, certain distributors that 
uh, actually send their invoices digitally through our platform, uh, make them payable. So we you know, are a full service kind of payment facilitator. Um, but it also gives a restaurant the ability to snap a photo of an invoice, uh, which you know in itself is valuable because you're creating a digital record and then you have that kind of saved in the platform. You can just hand that invoice over to accounting to, to be paid. Uh, when the invoice is ready to be paid, uh, we uh, allow a restaurant to pay any invoice via credit card or ACH. Uh, but the value is is with credit card. You know, a lot of Absolutely. Uh, distributors are, you know, uh, you know, seven, 14, 30 day uh, terms. So this is kind of a way for you to extend your terms by 30 days just by putting it on a credit card. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, credit card uh, reward point earning uh, ability there. Uh, and as long as you have that credit card bill paid within 30 days, you kind of created, you know, float for, for your for your business. Um, and then we actually take that digital payment and turn it into uh, a physical check. And we will mail that check off on behalf of the uh, restaurant to their distributor that they're paying. And uh, we'll include a uh, an actual printout of that original invoice behind the payment. So there's no confusion. Uh, so a great way to, you know, you can do batch payments as well. So, you know, you can upload multiple invoices, select four or five at the same time, put them all on a credit card. Uh, very, very easy. So not only is it going to save time for accounting, um, but you also have that digital record and you also have the ability to pay uh, anyone via credit card. So, you know, we're very excited about that. And uh, restaurants are definitely starting to take advantage of that more and more over these past few months. That's a great feature unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, now we'll kind of go into how, um, you know, I guess one thing I haven't mentioned is everything that I've been talking about uh, in terms of functionality in our in our platform uh, for the restaurant is entirely free. So Cut and Dry is a free application. We've created a business model that allows us to offer this uh, to restaurants, you know, in perpetuity for free. Um, but we've, we've gone a step further. I, I kind of refer to this as the cherry on top of our platform. So we have a, a, a very um, won't get into kind of the, the nerd side of it, but we have a very uh, we have a very powerful data structuring engine uh, that, uh, you know, creates more or less a standard language for products uh, throughout the entire food service industry. And we're, we're kind of indexing uh, and creating you know, a language that uh, can be applied across all of our customer order guides and we can very easily match products uh, to, you know, directly to manufacture, um, uh, manufacturer products, whether they're the identical product or a similar product. And we have a, a number of different ways that restaurants can earn cash on our platform. We, we call this cut and dry cash. Um, it's not like monopoly, monopoly money. This is, this is real cash. It's real money. Yeah. It's real money. Right. You got so, my attention. <laughs> yep. So the value is that you, that you can, uh, uh, once you have all these order guides set up, uh, we can find uh, uh, products that are uh, eligible for what we refer to as uh, order and earn. Uh, order and earn just means you need to order the products and you're earning cash back. It's the equivalent of you know trade rebates, which you know unfortunately there, there's literally billions of dollars of trade rebates uh, that are entered into the market, but very few end up uh, you know in the independent operators' pockets. Uh, the process to get a trade rebate is you know, typically downloading a form, filling out information, sending in proof of purchase, you know, four or five, <clears throat> eight weeks later, whatever, whatever it is, you might get a check back in the mail. And, and not many people are, are really going through that process as we know time is, is money. Uh, and that does take up a lot of time and it's just a very kind of convoluted process. So uh, we've partnered with a number of, of manufacturers and these are very, very large, you know, just call them the, the largest food service manufacturers uh, in, in, the, in the world. Uh, and we are offering direct cash from manufacturers uh, directly to independent operators. Um, 
We also uh, insert um, uh, switch and earn opportunities. So when we match a comparable product, we'll offer an incentive uh, for someone to switch to that product and uh, something that is actually hot off the press. This week, we just launched a sample and earn uh, opportunity. So not only you know before you make the switch, uh, you can actually sample a product. Uh, the, the cost of that product is then given back to you in cut and dry cash as long as you fill out a sampling survey. And that sampling information goes directly back to the manufacturer. And now the manufacturer is, is, uh, has, you know, real, uh, you know, real, you know, feedback from the buyer on what their sampling of that product uh, was like. Do they like it? Do they plan on using it? Um, so really excited about that. Well, that's lastly, perfect. We also just have, a, you know, a referral program. So as hmm. restaurants uh, invite other restaurants to our platform, they're going to earn $50 in cut and dry cash. Um, this cash can be withdrawn. So you can use that for employee bonuses or, you know, I don't know, take the team out for an offsite, you know, uh, get them out of the restaurant and do some sort of team building activity. I think that's one thing that I worked in restaurants, you know, people are always kind of having their late night drinks, but get them out of the restaurant, you know, take them, take them to a, I don't know, baseball game, football game, or whatever it may be, and just have that extra cash kind of in your pocket to, to do some team building activities. Um, but we're, we're really excited about that besides withdrawing and actually using it for, for things like that. Um, you could also actually apply that to cover. There is a, a service charge for paying credit cards. There's credit card processing fees obviously involved in it. Um, so if a restaurant does choose to pay uh, any invoice via credit card, there's a 3% service charge that we apply to that. But if you have any amount, uh, in your cut and dry cash, uh, kind of digital wallet, you can apply those funds very similar to, you know, Amazon rewards points or credit card rewards points where you can just uh, deduct those from your balance. So all of a sudden, you know, you have a thousand dollar invoice, $30 service charge. If you've got $50 sitting in your cut and dry cash wallet, you can just deduct from there to cover the credit card. So now you have a 0% credit card payment and 30 days afloat. Well, that's fantastic. So we talked about saving labor, increasing efficiency, you know, speeding up the process of ordering, using all your existing suppliers, adding suppliers, easy check-in on this app. And then we talked about improving cash flow, cut and dry cash, which uh, provides you cash back. We talked about referrals that give you cash back. Wow, there's so many benefits here that are so relevant to this uh, labor crunch. Warner, that's fantastic. What's your website URL so the audience can find you? Uh, cut and dry spelled spelled out c u t a n d d r y dot com. Uh, restaurants can literally create an account in in seconds. Uh, all they have to do is add their distributors that they're ordering from, and uh, we will create an order guide for you within you know one to twenty four hours, depending on whether you're just uploading an invoice that needs to be turned into an order guide, uh, or whether we have an integration with uh, with a distributor. But uh, yeah, really excited to hopefully get some more restaurants using this uh, labor and time saving platform. Well, I did hear the word free. There's no cost or charge to the restaurant to use this correct. app. So. I, you know, why wouldn't you go check this out? It sounds fantastic. And again, you're solving multiple problems here in the labor crisis. Thank you, Warner Siebert from Cut and Dry for being a great guest today. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. Glad to have you back. So this is all about the pandemic and the crazy times we're going through. And the biggest challenges restaurants are facing are, of course, the labor crisis. So with me today, Mr. Ken McGarry from Corgan Hospitality. He is also the author of a book called The Surprise Restaurant Manager. Welcome to the show today, Ken. Glad to have you with us. Thanks, Roger. I appreciate being back. Really, really appreciate the uh, invite. 
Well, absolutely. Now, you have a great story and how you first got into the restaurant business and then you became what you call the surprise restaurant manager. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So the surprise restaurant manager is exactly that. It's when you are a server or a bartender or a host and then somebody hands you the keys and says, do you mind locking up? And then next week, it's do you mind doing some scheduling and throwing out some drawers? And then next thing you know, you're an actual manager but no one ever trained you. And it's something that I find nationwide in all the restaurants that I work with are people that were put in the position simply because they're great and fantastic and positive individuals, but they don't have the understanding of how to find staff, how to support staff, um, how to coach, um, how to deal with negative um, energy, how to deal with strong personalities, all the things that are really aspects of being a restaurant manager. And so I decided to write the book because I had the same conversations over and over again. And I'm here in Memphis at one of uh, my restaurants, and I legitimately have a host that's here that is one of the most positive, absolutely fantastic people. And they made her into a manager and she's had no training and she's just they just handed her keys and said do you mind start opening and i'm like it's funny i i have a book for you and so now i'm walking you through being a surprise restaurant manager because a month so ago, that's a template right the book can literally be a template to help new you know inexperienced managers become you know really productive managers that uh you know can rise up in an organization it's really amazing how people can start off in this business in the dish pit or as hosts or bussers or whatever and they can literally own restaurants someday just simply because uh you know the upward mobility in this business i have a similar story you know in my flagship restaurant i recognized you know when my kids were really small they went to a daycare and their daycare provider was so personable and so caring and attentive to all the details, made all the parents feel really, you know, just safe and secure that your kid's in good hands with this person. So I ended up making that person a part-time host. And years later, that person became general manager of my biggest restaurant. And after, well, 10 or so years working for me, to this day, that person is still the GM of this restaurant. So, you know, it's amazing. It's a similar story. And that person became a surprise manager, you know, from a host. And all of a sudden, wow, you've got the talent, you're doing great. And now you're a manager. And this situation is happening all the time in restaurants across the country where, you know, people are quitting. We're looking for good people. We need, you know, we can't work 100 hours a week, even though we have to. So we definitely need to lean on people that just show some promise. And, you know, you're a prime example of that, Ken. So, and I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I'm reminded of obviously the challenge that we have all experienced uh, right now with the labor shortage. And yes, people are definitely being put into those positions without training. But one of the other things that I've been reminded while I'm here is that when you do find people, and of course, we all have the instances where you're calling and you have 30 people that say that they're going to interview and five people show up and then you hire three of them and nobody shows up on their first day. So it's just it is just that hard. But the the challenge that I find is that so many people hire somebody and then they disconnect from them. So thank you. If you are that person who's sitting across and you're engaging somebody they're excited to work with you, not your not your restaurant, not your company. They're working with you, and they're excited about that. 
And when they day one shows up, you hand them the paperwork. Okay, go fill this out. Go stand over there with that server and learn from them. You've automatically disconnected. And then suddenly that person's main motivation for why they're excited just is just left. Everything so, just changed yep, right changed. before their eyes. Yeah. So as a manager, the first thing you should do is make time to have them come in and you sit with them and fill out the paperwork and then take that opportunity to talk to them about how great the place is and get them excited. And if you are going to put them with a lead trainer, a lead server, whomever, then you're still going to check in with them at the end of every day and say, hey, make sure at the end of the day that we sit down and talk because I want to touch base with you. Because it's that level to where you see at some point people are going to go, oh, well, I'm not as excited about it because now the person that they were really connected to is absent. Disengagement. That's terrible. And that must happen all the time. It really does. And it's and it, because managers are being pulled in a thousand different directions. Sure. And as you know, yes, 15-hour days are unfortunately the standard. So yeah. you might not think that you have the time to – sit down for half an hour and have everyone fill out their paperwork. But the absence in doing so means that you're going to spend 10 times that to place more ads, to interview more people. Once you finally have one person to say yes, nurture that person personally and don't leave them in the fray, even if it's you know, even if you have a thousand other things, it could. I love that word nurture. You're absolutely right. It's about nurturing people, developing their skills, recognizing their talents, recognizing, rewarding their performance and not just, you know, bringing them on board and then see you later. You're, you're someone else's responsibility. Now I totally agree with that philosophy. And that's, you know, that's all part of leading by example too. You're treating people the way you would expect to be treated. It's about teamwork and respect yep. in any organization. And then I also spend in almost every single interview that I do, I spend at least five minutes trying to talk them out of taking the role, whether it's a manager or yeah. a server or what I yeah. would like to talk you out of it because so interesting. there's no logic in being the person. I remember being a young bartender and working at a hotel and the manager said with me, he's like, you know what? One, one day somebody came in, they just put a hundred dollar bill on my tip out. You know, you never know what you can make. You can make, and of course, all these promises. And then you show up and you make like $7 and you're like, well, because people will do this to try to get you in. I will tell them about all the challenges. Hey, you know what? Sometimes people don't show up and you're going to have to do twice as much. Sometimes doubles last all the way through here and you're going to get uh, you know, a limited amount of time for a break. Sometimes there are going to be all these challenges. I don't want you to walk in and think everything's going to be perfect, but that's why we need you because you are going to help us and that's why we appreciate you and that's where that conversation becomes thank you coming on board and helping us with our challenges instead of oh we have it all figured out and it's all super great because it's not and you should let them know at the very beginning so that they don't hit that wall and go uh no and then leave yeah, I mean, you recognize something, some magic in a person, and you realize, yes, I, I see potential in you, but it's a real fine line before the confidence kicks in, before the productivity and the performance kicks in, and there's a learning curve, and it's a real delicate balance as being an owner and giving somebody that kind of responsibility, but it kind of goes with it, you know, it's like give them you know, give them the chance to fail and work with them and hold their hand. And like you said, nurture and develop that, that, uh, ultimate performance and you'll be rewarded for that time you put in. I'm sure. Without, without question. 
So let's talk about the book, Ken. Uh, it's laid out by chapters, I'm sure. Where does it start? What's the middle? What's the end? Like, it's a logical process, of course. If I'm a restaurant owner and I've been running the show, working 100 hours a week, and, you know, I haven't taken on any managers and suddenly I want to do that and I'm reading this book, what am I going to learn and, and what are the steps? So there are 25 chapters that are basically freestanding and then a quiz at the back. And so each one of them are freestanding articles to where you can you can look at listicles in the back and just get the gist of what it's about or dig in by, by reading the uh, chapters. But mm -hmm. if you're a new manager, somebody has been doing it for less than a year or are interested in coming into the industry, then read it from front to back because it starts with why do you want to be a manager? Because being a manager is boot camp. You're, you're doing it because you want to do something greater. You want to become a manager. You want to have your own place. You want to go to culinary. You want to do something. So figuring out why you're even choosing this path. And then it's finding staff, developing them, how to support them, how to coach them, how to terminate them. These are things that people don't train you about, witnesses and terminations and understanding, not saying things like, this is really hard for me, because it's not hard for you because you still have a job at the other side. So all of the first part of, of is, is that. And then you get more into the how do you deal with um, – guests and touching tables and making sure that they're engaged and how to solve online reviews and challenges that you have there. And then the back of the book has to do with how do you deal with strong personalities like owners and how do you deal with blunt criticism like owners and all of the people that are going to give this pressure. And then how do you create balance in your life? to where Thank you. you can still see That's your important. family and you can still go to church and you can still have a life. You can still do all the things that you want to do if you set these parameters. And the first thing you should never do is work from home. Don't do schedules on your couch. Do everything at work, schedule admin tasks, but it walks you through all the things that you can do. So if you're a new manager, then I say read it from front to back. But if you've been doing it for a while, read it from back to front. Because the things in the back about balance and understanding how to move to the next level are going to resonate with you. And then by the time you get to how to support a staff and how to place ads and all those things, it might give you some ideas. But these are things that you probably inherently being in the industry for five plus years probably already have somewhat of a handle on. I got a question for you. And this these times are just crazy in so many ways. And what comes to mind is all the news reports of all these disgruntled passengers on airline flights and, you know, physical altercations and all that. And I belong to so many restaurant manager groups on Facebook and whatnot. And I'm seeing the same thing in restaurants. Mm -hmm. Customers are tired of the pandemic. They're tired of, you know, the mask wearing. It's a divided country. It's a divided camp. People, the service levels aren't what people expect because of the labor shortage. It's like, and all of a sudden as an owner or even a GM, you can't be at that restaurant 24 seven. And if you give somebody a new responsibility, what's your best advice on training people to deal with difficult customers and where the line is drawn between, you know, customers that are being rude and, you know, delivering hospitality, being courteous to people and not being taken advantage of and not letting a disgruntled customer ruin someone else's experience with an earshot. Like that's one of the biggest challenges right now as well. Without question. And you're right. People came out of the pandemic crazy. Like legitimately, like they had been they locked the gloves in a cell on. and they just went out 
drank harder, ate harder, expected mm. more. It, it the level of entitlement has become really, really hard. And for the bar concepts I'm associated with, it's even twice as hard. It's really, really tough. Uh, now, when you get to dealing with people that are having these reactions, of course, if it's abusive, then there's no tolerance. I'll just walk over and say, there's no tab. There's nothing. Just get, yeah. get on my restaurant. Right, right, right. But yep. if it's somebody who's legit, the, the one that always surprises me, and I just had it happen two days ago here with somebody who felt that we purposely um, over-prepared their steak, that, that, that we, we targeted them and we didn't prepare oh, sure. them properly. Did it on purpose, so yeah. We were like, I, everybody else's steak, why is it me? And you have to, I, I call it in the book, taking two steps back because- if you meet aggression with regular aggression, then somebody gets upset, then it's very easy for you to just have a response to whatever they're saying. But what they're saying isn't really, I'm really upset about my steak. What they're saying is, I'm disappointed. And I'm disappointed because of price point or because of uh, what I thought it was going to be. They have a level of disappointment. But because they're internalizing it and making it so personal, mm. you have to take a second mm -hmm. step back and understand. Why are they that's disappointed? Well, the reality is that they probably feel in life that they are targeted for things to happen to them. They feel like the whole world is against them. They feel like everything is really hard for them specifically. And we all know those people. We all know those people who, who are Eeyores from Winnie the Pooh to where everything yeah, is right. in their world. Uh -huh. Those people. Yeah, you're right. Are just, they're just downers. Sad. Yeah. They're just. And, and, and so when you look at somebody who's raging and your response is you take two steps back, then you realize the only response that you have is compassion and pity. And if and at that point, now you're not absorbing negativity. You're not worried about this person freaking out about their steak. You're just like, oh, it's okay. We didn't, you know, we're going to get you taken care of because in the back of your mind, you're like, how sad that this person actually lives in this level of aggression know, true. about yeah. an overcooked steak. Yep. Um, so that, that sort of aspect. Um, and then the masks, honestly, the masks have become such a massively political, politicized thing for sure. Where I'm again, I'm in Tennessee right now. Yeah. Half the people wear masks. Half the people refuse to wear a mask and will tell you that the government cannot tell them what to wear. And we, as restaurants, wear masks because we have to by Shelby County. And we try our best to get people to, to wear it. But if they don't, I don't want my servers and bartenders to become bouncers. I don't, and I'm done Thank with you. it. That's right. So, mm -hmm. and, and if somebody has a problem, I'm, you know, that person over there at that table is not wearing a mask. Man, we have let them know. There, that's a, it's it's on you if that's a challenge. <laughs> Sometimes people go about whatever. Eh. Last thing I need is a server coming over, but you have to wear your mask, and then it just becomes a whole. You can't of course. do that. Yeah. Well, Ken, we talked quite a bit about the book, the surprise mm -hmm. restaurant manager. How do people find your book? So you can find it uh, where all great books are sold online. Uh, you, if you'd like to support independent, there's bookshop.com, um, Barnes Noble. Uh, there is obviously Amazon. And if you go to Amazon, there's a download version that you can get on Kindle and you just get the app. And it's 99 cents. And I do that specifically because I want the information out. 
And I've said multiple times, if you go to my website, which is Corgan, K-O-R-G-E-N, hospitality. My wife's name is Morgan. I'm Ken. So you see where that adorable Perfect. thing came up with. Okay, that makes um, sense. And, and email me. I'll send you a free PDF. I'm happy. I just want the information out because I think that this is the thing that I can do right now to help an industry that's putting people in positions that they just don't have time to train. And if you want to hear this voice for five and a half hours, you can listen to me on Audible. Audiobook. Uh, I got that. And uh, both the audiobook and the regular book has a forward by uh, Top Chef Fabio Viviani, who is my business partner and great friend. Fantastic. Well, you're doing a great service to the industry, Ken. So thanks so much for appearing on this show. Thanks for writing that book. Uh, we told everyone where to find it and how to get it. And it's something that I believe every restaurant owner and manager should read. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Roger. Really appreciate you. Welcome, everyone, to Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. And here's yet another installment with me today, Mr. Johan Munasinga. And he is the CEO and founder of a company called InKind. Welcome to the show, Johan. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Roger. So before we get into what InKind is all about, and I think you've got a really unique solution to paying for all the increased wages and incentives and bonuses that employees now in a traditionally you know, lower paying industry are now facing with. That's a great solution. We're going to get all into that. Let's talk a little bit about um, the importance of technology for the future. And then let's talk about your unique situation. Now, you mentioned something about there being 110,000 restaurant spaces for lease and you saw an opportunity I want to hear all about that. So dive on yeah, in. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, I'm actually seated here, seated here in um, in a restaurant in Austin, Texas, um, which I leased um, during the pandemic this summer. And really, there's 110,000 empty restaurants um, in the U.S. that have the infrastructure. You know, we already have a kitchen and the HVAC and the millions and millions of dollars that would be needed uh, to open this restaurant. And what, what we're seeing is that... Um, entrepreneurs like restaurateurs like myself um, or groups who are expanding, they can open into new spaces and they don't need nearly as much money because really all you have to do is kind of repaint and maybe change the tables. Right. right. And, right. Um, and InKind's happy to provide that funding. And then you, when you open, you don't have debt, you don't have other investors you need to pay. And so what you're able to do is actually give your employees profit sharing instead of paying the investors with a debt. And that way you can retain and hire the best talent because you can actually pay them more and really that money, you know, you would have to have given to a bank or to an investor anyway. You might as well give it to your employees, which are really uh, critical, obviously, in this time uh, for the restaurant industry. Well, that's absolutely true because, you know, restaurants are struggling finding new people, but it's so imperative that they keep their good people that are already working for them happy. And of course, we talked about, you know, the importance of raising wages and coming up with unique incentives and bonuses for, you know, not only managers, but line employees as well. If they come up with good ideas, if they're really productive, if they're somehow adding to the the positive, um, you know, productivity of a restaurant or the bottom line, it's like my restaurants always incentivized managers and line staff are coming up with great ideas that either save money, new profit centers, all that sort of thing. So that's, you know, that's right in line with what you just said. Yeah. And Roger, on that, on that note, we have a, a really great restaurant group, uh, Michael Mina restaurant group that we work with. And mm -hmm. he was telling me, uh, Chef Mina was telling me one of their strategies is it's really hard to hire a line cook today, but you know, it's not as hard to hire a, a career sous chef, somebody who wants to really make this their career. And so what he does is in any new cities or any cities that he's in, he wants to make sure he has at least three different restaurants in that city because he can take sous chefs and train them in different cuisines, which is important to them. Absolutely. You know, and ultimately, like yeah. employees need to be paid well, you know, and it's a hard industry. 
But really, if you think about it, it's not just the money that drives you know, restaurant employees. It's their career. They want to do something. They want to be working somewhere where they're learning and they're enjoying being there. Right. And I think that's what that's the opportunity today that COVID, you know, was obviously terrible for the industry and horrific, horrific. I think the the opportunity that's that is exists now is that restaurants can open into new spaces in that way that we just talked about, where yes. they don't have to have as much investment to do it. And then that also allows them to have their staff, you know, move into more management positions, let's say, because if you have you're opening a new restaurant, maybe you take a bartender from your current restaurant and make him a bar manager at the new restaurant. Right. And you start to create kind of career opportunities for your restaurant workers, which ultimately is what I think will the industry needs. Right. It's is career workers and not it just does. people who come in for a job. It absolutely does. And, you know, you're bringing up an interesting point because leading by example is so, so important there. In the past, it was okay for, well, I shouldn't say it was okay, but it was commonplace for a restaurant manager to delegate. And there's a difference between delegating and empowering. You know, anybody can tell somebody what to do, and that doesn't necessarily build teamwork or respect. But if you can, you know, recognize talent in someone and give them opportunities to move up and even give them the chance to fail, but just trust in their good judgment Ultimately, you're going to come out on top and then recognize and reward those people for their achievements. That is empowering. And that is leading by example and not being a figurehead in the back office, not being too important to do any restaurant task if it's important. <laughs> and what you said about, you know, developing people and moving them around and giving them career opportunities is absolutely essential for the future, as opposed to the old way, turn them and burn them. You know, we can no longer yeah. afford to turn and burn people. We have to develop and nurture them recognize and reward them and make them feel like they're, you know, that their voice matters and that you, if they have great ideas, we should be open door to that. And I, you know, I had success doing that in my own restaurants, but I think it's more important now than ever. A hundred percent. I wish that every restaurant owner could hear what you just said, Roger. I think that is probably Thanks. the best advice anybody could ever give somebody. <laughs> well, right on. Let's dive in. Now, in-kind is a really unique uh, restaurant funding opportunity. And it's it's great because, you know, I think I mentioned to you earlier when I ran restaurants, it was all about trade and not paying a dollar for every dollar of service. It was about pennies on the dollar and getting things a lot less money. You know, it's essentially it was based on my food and beverage cost, you know. So if yep. your food and beverage cost in a restaurant is like 30% combined or even a little higher, it's better than paying a dollar, you know, for the <laughs> same value that you're getting. So tell us all about in-kind, how it works. And um, I'd be really curious to have our audience hear the ins and outs of in-kind. Now, you're also a one-source partner. So thanks to Performance Food Service for sponsoring this program. But if um, the audience isn't aware, one source is a series of um, opportunities and benefits to performance customers. And I believe that's the place that they can find in-kind as well. Go to the Performance Food Service one source page. And uh, I believe you're providing opportunities to find, you know, to find the service there. But tell us all about in-kind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you to Performance Food Service. We do have a partnership with them and are able to work with more restaurants and their and restaurants that uh, in particular they work with. So that's great. Um, In-Kind was really created um, out of me um, loving food and, you know, and financing restaurants in my neighborhood and like wanting those restaurants to exist and going in and eating at them. And um, I, I actually opened a restaurant incubator in Washington, D.C. and I ran it for five years with my husband. And we learned everything there is to know about the operations and finance of restaurants. That's fantastic. Realized, yeah. And, you know, and 
that's why all, all the things you said about you know having to work in the dish in the dish pit you know like, right right things, right you know that's what yeah that's what life is and and we realized that running a restaurant is really 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 hard really hard and and typically um the way that restaurants are typically financed is not great for restaurants because you you pay for this big build out you borrow you essentially get money from investors you pay them out of the profits you hope to pay them back within three years. And that's kind of what every pro forma says. And usually it doesn't happen. And usually what happens is the restaurant owner is working 100 hours a week and he's there for five years and he realizes he's not making any money and the investors are not going to ever get paid back or there's too much debt and it's just not worth doing. And as soon as he or she can get out of their personal guarantee on the lease, you know, they, they close the restaurant. And that's actually the number one reason that restaurants close is because it just doesn't make financial sense for the owner to keep running this restaurant. Of course. And yeah. And so we really wanted to change that. We didn't want that to, because we, we as running our own restaurant, we're like, this is a lot of work. It doesn't really make sense for us to just be working in order to try to pay back investors, you know? And, and so we, we did the exact same realization that you had Roger, or, you know, because you're a restaurateur is food cost. You know, if you come into my restaurant uh, I would definitely give you a glass of wine, you know, on me and you would value it at $12 and I would know it cost me $3. And so we had a friend who wanted uh, yes. some funding to open a restaurant in DC. And I said, you know what, let, instead of me becoming a partner or giving you money that you have to pay me back, let me just buy a lot of food and beverage credit from you in advance. You can use the money to go and open. And then I'm going to sell that credit to people, you know, people around DC that I know. I sold it in high dollar amounts so that, you know, maybe I'd tell a customer, hey, if you prepay a thousand dollars, I'll give you twelve hundred in credit to eat at that restaurant. And the customer was like, oh, awesome. I'm getting a three hundred dollar bonus. And what ended up happening is the customers, you know, bought all this credit and then they were incredible customers of the restaurant. They would go in, they would spend 80 percent more than um, other customers in the restaurant because they have so much credit. They're like, oh, I might as well get the extra bottle of wine or I might as well get the cocktails, you know? And then they would come in more often because you're thinking, oh, where should I go to dinner tonight? Oh, well, I have $1,200 in credit to the restaurant. I'm going to go there, right? And and we started to basically send in great customers to restaurants. And we thought, wow, this is a really interesting model. The restaurateur, you know, three years later, only actually 70% of the credit that we even sold was used because you know sometimes with gift cards people don't use them and yeah you know, the breakage factor i was gonna the ask breakage. you about that right yeah right. yeah so he did the math and he was like wow this probably cost me 20 percent, you know an actual 20 cents on the dollar um versus the investment and you know we have like pretty strong feelings around this like we don't we want running our own restaurant i know that cash is scarce you know there's a lot of bills to pay there's a lot of expenses and if, if somebody's financing me and taking out of my credit card sales, you know, that's the cash not coming to me. Or if I have to pay a bank at the end of the month or whatever, that's cash that's costing me a lot. So for us, we were like, this is a good form of financing because it doesn't ever take cash from the restaurant. And then now through the pandemic, what we're finding is that since the restaurants that work with us don't, we're not taking cash from them, they can use that cash to pay their employees more. Right. And so Thank their employees you. are staying. So it all ties in, you know, kind of together. Is there a maximum limit of how much uh, a restaurant can uh, be funded on this and in exchange for the trade you're talking about? Yeah, usually it it depends on the group, but as a sort of general number, um, it's usually four to 5% of their annual revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done 
uh, we work with big restaurant groups and independent operators. So we work with people like Danny Meyer, Union Square Hospitality, and Jose Andres and Michael Mina, uh, Bluestone Lane, a great coffee shop. We also work with hundreds of independent restaurants. And so we really look at, at each individual restaurant because ultimately what we care about is, you know, how is their food? How is their hospitality? Because will people buy these credits when we buy the, you know, the food from the restaurant, the, the food sure. and beverage credit? And so, you know, we look at, um, Hospi- we have a hospitality index, basically a score that we assign based on how good the food is and how good the hospitality is, because then we know, okay, we can sell $200,000 or $500,000 worth of credit to people because they're going to want to go into this restaurant. I also see this as a loyalty tool because once a customer has expended their credits, they've become a huge raving fan of that restaurant more than likely. So they're not only going to keep going back there, but they're going to tell their friends and it just kind of goes viral. I totally see the marketing aspect to this. Yeah. And we do things like um, if somebody, you know, is going into a restaurant and buys, we call them house accounts. If you buy a house account to a restaurant, Mm -hmm. um, we know that you like that restaurant. We know that you love going in there. So we might give you $25 or $50 out of our credit that InKind bought to give to your friend to go into the restaurant. Right. So now you're creating word of mouth marketing Mm -hmm. from your biggest advocates and fans, you know, who love your restaurant. Um, The other thing that we do, I think that, um, we have a restaurant um, called Ravenous Pig in Winter Park, Florida. We funded. I think we've actually worked with them many, many times to, to buy their building, to expand to another location. They're a James Beard uh, award-winning restaurant. And when you're using Kind as a customer, you can pay your bill with the credit, but you can't leave your tip with the credit because then the restaurant owner would have to pay the server of out of their pocket. That's right. right. So, mm-hmm. so we have a credit card on the app that they, the customer uses, charges to their credit card the tip. The tip goes directly to the restaurant and the restaurant pays the, the server with it. And at Ravenous Pig, the average in-kind house account holder tips 28%. And the reason is because the, the servers know that these are great customers. So they give them a better service experience. And because they're getting a better service experience, they're tipping more, which is meaning they're getting a better service experience, right? There's this great virtuous cycle um, that's created. And again, that helps the restaurant retain this great staff because they're getting good tips, you know, and they're able to, to stay there. Wow, that's awesome. Let's talk about the app you just mentioned. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, my background is in technology. And um, so this is really is a, a technology driven product. Um, when you, um, when you, you, you can open up the InKind app, and we have 10s of 1000s of users on the InKind app that have pre spent thousands and 1000s at restaurants. So they're really good customers. You know, the, again, the customers are tipping 28%. They can open up the app. They can see all the restaurants in the in-kind network that are participating where they can buy house accounts in. And it really does drive a lot of new customers into the restaurants. So we're really, really particular about who we work with because we only work with great restaurants, right? Because we want to make sure that the customers, when they go in, because they see the restaurant on the in-kind app, that they're going to have a great experience. And so that's really our underwriting. When we figure out are we going to, who are we going to work with and how much are we going to fund them is really based on are they, you know, a great restaurant. Do they? Do people want to go there? And people in the in-kind network, are they going to be happy when they go into this new restaurant and discover it through the network? For sure. Now let's talk about what's trackable through a point of sale system and what types of information we can glean from these people that have credits and, and all that and how we can use that as a marketing tool as well. Yeah. You know, Roger, one of the things that we really learned when we owned our own restaurant and ran it was just there's so much to do that you can't be an expert at everything, 
you know? And so a restaurateur generally isn't an expert in digital marketing, right? That's For right. example, Absolutely. Um, yep. or in software and integration. So what we do is we, we try to take on as much of that as we can and really help the restaurant. So for example, with, we integrate with the point of sale automatically with our app. So if you go into a restaurant and you uh, order a uh, margarita with, um, with certain tequila in it, we, and then you, you pay with the in-kind app, we know that you, Roger, now like that tequila or that you like tequila in general. So if the restaurant is doing an event, a uh, margarita night or uh, something like that, we can actually reach out to you, Roger, in particular, and say, hey, we're doing this through the restaurant. And the restaurants can say, hey, we're doing a, a margarita night or a tequila tasting. Can you invite all of our people who've been here who've been, who like tequila, right? So we actually start to create profiles automatically of all of the guests. And we let the restaurants use those profiles to market and get those customers to come back in. Awesome. This is tremendous. Well, this has been a terrific show. I think you've offered us lots of solutions uh, to this particular challenge. Thanks again, Johan, for being with us. He's with InKind and to find him. Um, what's your URL? Uh, InKind.com. InKind.com. Or if you're a Performance Foods customer, go right to the OneSource page and all the information is right there. And we will see you in the next installment of Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch. Thanks again, Johan. Thanks so much, Roger. Big shout of thanks to our four guests this week for helping with this most pressing of all industry problems. We sincerely hope that you can use some of these ideas. Some of these are executable and actionable immediately. Some of the best practices spoken in this episode you can apply in your own operation to help you solve your own labor crisis. So stay tuned to that. And don't forget, we have a full show called Cracking the Restaurant Labor Crunch available at restaurantlaborcrunch.com. It will be available evergreen. You can tune into it at any time and listen to any and all of those interviews at your leisure. I'd like to give a big shout out of thanks to runningrestaurants.com, The Lease Coach, Up and Go, America's Best Restaurants, and of course, our diamond sponsor, Performance Foods, for bringing that show to you and making that possible. Big shout out of thanks for the sponsors of this episode, Seven Shifts and Bear Robotics. You know, labor is one of those critical numbers, you know, that you need to stay on top of every single week. Knowing what your true labor cost is, is critical. In addition to your food and beverage costs, those three combined are the biggest expenses your restaurant will have. Well, if you don't have that system dialed in your own restaurant, why not check out our Finances 101 course at RestaurantRockstars.com. It is a complete finance tutorial to your restaurant's critical numbers. And again, we make it simple for you. It's basically for those people who are bad at math, hate math, just hate numbers in general. There are a series of audio tutorials in five minutes or less that explain each of these concepts, how to put an inventory system in place, how to calculate your true food, beverage, and labor costs, your daily break-even, budgets, all the important things, plus fully automated turnkey spreadsheets that make it simple. We teach you what the numbers mean, where to find them, how to plug them into the spreadsheets, what the final number should look like, and any common mistakes to avoid. So check that out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's called Finances 101. So thanks to everyone for tuning in and we hope that you uh, solve your labor problems right now and that you run a successful and profitable enterprise moving forward dig deep be passionate about this business and stay in the game we'll see you in the next episode people go to restaurants for lots of reasons what the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant this is a high risk high fail business it's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. 
I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant, you want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.